1: Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
2: Welcome to Car Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hi and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm one of your
3: hosts, Scott Benjamin, and I'm another one of your hosts, Kurt Garen. I'm Ben Bullen, also here for some reason. How are you guys doing? <laughs>
2: doing good,
4: doing well. Thank you. <laughs>
3: Everything's going great. Hey,
2: you know what? We've uh, we've yeah. had many many discussions on the show in the past about museums that you know one or both of us have traveled to, or just museums in general and mm-hmm. collections and all mm-hmm. that, right?
3: Yeah.
2: And uh, you know we've. Got our favorites, and we've, we've talked about some good, some bad, some... Still
3: steam they d- didn't make it to that microcar museum before oh, they closed. Yeah, that's uh, a missed opportunity. Did you hey, hear about that one, Kurt? Uh, it was here in Georgia.
2: Yeah, it was in, uh, um, oh gosh, what town was that? Madison? Uh, yeah, you're right, Madison, yeah. Madison, Georgia. It was uh, Bruce Wiener's microcar museum, and was, the collection was unbelievable. It was just remarkable. You can still catch it online. I mean, yeah. the whole collection is, is preserved in online form. You can look at every car, every spec, you know, a little uh, detail about each vehicle and everything, but to see it in person was was pretty impressive. I was there on the last weekend they were open, maybe even the last day before they held the auction, mm-hmm. and it was pretty impressive. It was, a, it was a cool thing. But we've seen so many museums, automotive museums, motorcycle museums, whatever, the racing museums, but when you mentioned one that you traveled to very recently, I was more than impressed. Now, one... By the location, of course. I mean, it's something that we need to investigate a little bit further. I got questions about just where you were and and why and all that. Okay. Uh, But also the museum itself. I've been kind of poking around with some photos of this museum that we're going to talk about, and it looks beautiful. The Mm -hmm. the collection looks amazing. The building looks amazing. You know, the facilities look really, really interesting. Um, I've got a ton of questions. I know Kurt's got some questions as well that he wants to hit you up with. So first question is, yes. Well, maybe a statement. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a museum uh, that is in Japan. It's the Toyota Automobile Museum,
3: right? Yeah, that's right, Scott. Earlier this year, I went to Japan for the first time. My uh, girlfriend, Brandy, and I went there, and a lot of people, when they go to Japan, they fly into the Tokyo airport. Tokyo is, of course, the most populous city in Japan. I think it's unfair to even call it a city. It's like 23 different cities or wards all smashed together. Mm-hmm. And that airport's very crowded. So we were able to fly, instead of to Tokyo, we flew to a town called Nagoya, which might not be as familiar to a lot of people. It's a smaller area. It's more industrial. It is also famously a Toyota town and we had planned to land in Japan at the Nagoya airport uh, and spend a few days in Nagoya and then sort of ease our way into Tokyo via the Shinkansen, which I finally rode. Very cool. Yeah. Which we've talked about for years, man. And uh, while we were in Nagoya, which has a a ton of history, I, I learned of the, well, going toward there, I learned of the Automotive Museum. And you know how it is. When you travel with your significant other, it's it's a negotiation. I'm very much of the mind that most relationships are kind of like the Cold War. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Sure. And uh, so, so we had our list of things that, you, you know, were, were like Ben's definite must-dos. You mm-hmm. know, we would trade off and we would figure out, uh, we just prioritized the stuff that we individually wanted to do and what we wanted to let go. And my priority, uh, my number one priority was to check out this museum. And I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't really want to spoil it because, well, because it was a little bit of a gamble. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, it was a little bit out of the way for us and, I definitely did not want to have to spend the rest of the trip thinking that I was the one who took us to a stinker museum and <laughs> knew about it, you know? Well, I could see that happening, where but, it, it eats up most of your day. Right. And
2: uh, then you get blamed, like, well, how often are we going to be in Japan?
3: Oh, God, or worse, and, you get the list of things we could have been doing. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, we've all yeah. been in that situation. Yeah. So I, I wanted to avoid that, but when I got there, I was amazed. It's like nine bucks a person, first off, and it has hundreds of cars, like over 160, and they're not all they're not all Toyotas. that That's the most astonishing thing. They are from all these different eras. There's a replica of a steam uh, steam-driven car. And they're really they're really more so interested in instead of studying the rise of Toyota. don't get me wrong, guys. It's a very Toyota heavy museum. Sure. Uh, They are studying the rise of the automobile in general and the rise of the automobile in Japan. The exhibits, and you guys have had a chance to look at these, are much, much older. I mean, this is a building with history. This is a building with some truly priceless automobiles in there.
2: All right. You know, I got a little bit confused when I was looking this up. So I, I hope I'm looking at the right one here, Ben, because I know there's a commemorative museum. Yeah. Uh, that's also in the same area. Toyota, It's got the Toyota label on it. However, that one is more skewed to um, focus on the Industrial Revolution and the idea of the power loom. And I think there's some, you know, old machinery in that building. It's the old factory where they would produce textiles, right. that type of thing. And uh, they've got a small car collection in that building, but it's nothing like the collection that you saw
3: right yeah the toyota auto museum uh, and again i i still can't believe it's like nine bucks a pop they're not paying me to say that it's just that's crazy <laughs> yeah super uh, steep that's very expensive I'm and it's, it's dedicated entirely to the automobile you know uh they have they even have well maybe it's not so much the automobile and it's definitely heavy on that i do remember there was a rickshaw uh, one of the exhibits. Um, to me, it, it almost
2: seems, without having been there, but seeing the list of cars that's there, because you can look at the exhibits online. You can go to their website and, yes. and find that. Yeah. It looks like they're... Maybe, maybe I read this somewhere, but it seems like they're focused on, like, the style of the cars mm-hmm. and the advancements that have been made along the way. Mm-hmm. And, like, kind of like these milestones, you know, to say, like, hey, look what we were doing in the early 1900s, and here's what we did between 1920 and 1930. and not, And not just we, Toyota, but we because Toyota wasn't around until, what, 1937, I believe. That was the very first, uh, you know, the founding of Toyota. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in eras before that and after that, they're focusing on, uh, you know, the automotive, as you said, automotive industry as a whole mm-hmm. and the advancements that have been made to how we got from where we started to where we are now. And I find that pretty fascinating mm-hmm. to, to build a collection in that way. Yeah. You know, these significant makes and models for some reason. You know, style yeah. or,
3: or technology. Also, a shout out to our old Toyota episode uh, where we explore the origin story of the company. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. The way that the cars are displayed when they're positioned next to Toyotas or even in the same building as Toyotas, it kind of tells you the story of why Toyota designed certain cars a certain way when you see cars from America, like, say, from the late 50s, like a big Cadillac, right, and then right. you see a European, like, compact car, and then you see the Toyota of the same time period. All the other cars are there to kind of tell Toyota's story in a way.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely an emphasis on that, but there's also an emphasis on the evolution of automotive manufacturing. As we had talked about in, in some previous episodes, starting your own homegrown car company is one of the most difficult things a country can do, and that's the reason why a relatively small number of large auto manufacturers dominate the global industry. So what Japan does is historic and impressive. Now, if you think back at what shape the country was in in terms of infrastructure at the close of World War II, to have come from that to a place where Japanese vehicles, you know, including Toyota, are often regarded as some of the most consistent in the, on the planet nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That is nothing short of amazing. One thing that stood out to me that I thought you guys would appreciate, because I remember I was, texting, uh, I was texting you some of these pictures, uh, is that they also have a lot of weird cars, weird one-offs, you know, it's kind of like when you go into a museum for another big idea, like the Koch Museum here in Atlanta, and you see all this stuff that didn't work. Yeah, you know? I like that. So one one example, there's this uh, <laughs> there's this microcar, going back to our earlier thing. It's a three-wheel car, the Fuji Cabin Model 5A. It looks like it's from a Pixar film. It has a, you know, the face of the vehicle. It has one cyclops-like headlight, and it has, you know, the um, the air intake uh, at the front looks like a dumb open mouth. It you know?
2: it almost looks like the size of a wheelbarrow. With the wheels of a wheelbarrow really I mean Reverse, it's that small uh, it's, it's a one micro wheel car. in the back yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <you're> right. <laughs> it's yeah
3: the tadpole design
2: yeah yes yeah, that yeah you're right it's that tadpole design and it's it's uh, it's an interesting vehicle I mean but but cars like that I, I love to see cars like that among all the other stuff you know that that it's kind of an ordinary car it's not necessarily anything flashy or anything it's no. it's unusual now of course yeah uh but at the time you know it was just a, a commuter car it was a car just to get around as a daily ride for somebody clearly mm. and uh and it's very simple very uh very I don't know, in a way, it's classy that it's simple, but it's also very very plain, you know, very plain-looking. I mean, it's not something that would draw your attention other than it's kind of a standout among others in this museum because I know there are some fantastic cars in the museum, too, and not just, uh, like you said, cars from... Japan, but there's you know the, there's a Tucker there. Yes, uh, you mentioned there's a steam car there. I'm not sure is it a Stanley car? I don't remember exactly who made that one. There's Cadillacs, uh uh-huh. um, Peugeots. There's all kinds Mercedes, of cars. Yeah. Uh Rolls Royce. Yeah, Lincolns. There's Ooh. you know Stutz Bearcats that, that you can see there. Um, there's some incredible vehicles. I'm, I'm looking right now at the website, which is uh, Toyota.co.jp. Yeah, and you can and you can find an English Japanese version if you search if you do you know a quick google search will will turn up the same thing and then when you get to the website if you go to I believe it's the exhibits tab mm-hmm. uh, if you go under exhibits you can look at the list of vehicles on display not necessarily the automobile gallery cuz that'll show you more of you know just kind of aesthetics of the of the building itself and you know, right, the displays right. but but go to the exhibits the the automobiles on display and you can get a real sense for what's there and the diversity of what's there cuz that's always that's always the impressive part to me, and, and even more so, It's maybe I get the feeling, Ben, and I have to ask you this, because, again, yeah. I've never been to Japan. I've never been to this museum, obviously. Okay. Um, have a lot of questions about the museum itself, because I've been to the good. I've been to some bad ones. Some stand out to me because of the, the way that they're displayed, the way that the building is laid out, the way that, they're, um, the, way that the cars are lit, you know, the distance between the cars, how close you can get to the cars. You know, there's there's a lot to making a good museum versus just, you know, throwing a bunch of cars in the same room together, you know, door to <laughs> door, to door, nose to nose. You know, and I've yeah. seen places like that, and it's not that they're horrible and they've got great cars. It's just that you don't necessarily get all the views, all the uh, impressions of that car that you necessarily want or you, or you are trying to get. Uh, you don't feel like you've got the fulfilling experience. And it looks to me like this one, you get a pretty good view of each car. It looks like the building itself is well done. You know, it's classy. Sure. It looks like it's a calm place to visit. I don't anticipate
3: there's any music playing or anything like that. It is thrash metal yeah. the entire time, <laughs> <Yes>. and it's <laughs> Japanese, so you don't know what they're screaming.
2: <laughs> it just looks like a. It looks like a peaceful place to stroll around, look at the cars. You know, kind of get lost in yourself a little bit, lost in your your memories or you know whatever you know. Just the. Uh, Maybe the vision
3: of yourself behind the wheel, or you know, sure.
2: whatever. I mean, it looks like a, a pleasant place to visit. Is is that the
3: the general feeling of the place? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there, when we went, it was not uh, especially crowded. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you know, we were also there uh, toward the uh, a weekday afternoon, I believe. Mm-hmm. So other, that's always nice. Yeah, and um, there there weren't any field trips. There were a couple of people there with their kids. There were a couple of older people. Uh, there was probably one non-Japanese, <laughs> one non-Japanese group other than us. Mm-hmm. Uh, what stood out to me the most was, first off, I was not expecting a Tucker all the way out in Nagoya, Japan, which shows how much I know. Oh right? yeah, uh, and and that Tucker, by the way, is drivable. They didn't let me drive it, but <laughs> yeah, of course, not. it works, is yeah. what I'm saying. Interesting. Uh, they had very little in the way of barriers, right? And for some of the vehicles, especially the the more stately, you know, pre-1930s, like proper carriage type things, they would have steps up and you would stand on, I don't know, like the fancy version of a stepladder essentially so that mm-hmm. shorter people could see inside. Occasionally you would see something like the gullwing wing doors would be open or you could one Okay, one thing I did, which may have been pushing the line a little bit, was <laughs> uh, was to, to describe the way the cars are laid, laid out. There's space between them, so you can generally see, in every vehicle, you can see at least three-fourths of it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there may be some part of it where the, the back corner is tucked against something. Sure, yeah. So you can't really get behind it. But the only boundary between you and these vehicles is going to be a, uh, a a small like plastic string probably about maybe maybe a foot off the floor mm. so I wouldn't it, have expected that it's not fort Knox is what I'm saying yeah, and <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not I, I i'm not uh I'm not proposing that we conduct a heist I'm just saying it would be <laughs> you know it wouldn't be hard. It'd be a lot easier than
2: some of the other places. But you know what, yeah. I you're you're mentioning something that I found like really intriguing about other places that I've been. I've been to the Lane Museum outside of Nashville. Yeah, yeah. And you could walk completely around the cars. There were no there were no barriers. And and I think there might have been you know, around a couple of cars that were there. And, uh, boy, I'm stretching my memory now to remember, it was years ago, but I feel like you could get right up to them and peer in as long as you didn't touch them. As long yeah. as you didn't touch the car, you're okay, but you could get right up next to the car. And I found that fascinating because I had never seen that before in another museum. Usually you're kept back with, you know, the big thick velvet ropes and they're, you know, waist high.
3: Right. And, uh, and
2: a significant distance away, you know, where, you know, you're not allowed to get anywhere near. You can't You can't lean in and smell what that car smells like right which is a part of the experience you know you can you can lean in and smell the uh you know the the old leather and the you
3: know the maybe the wood that's
2: got oil soaked into it that kind of thing i i love that
3: there were some cars where you could get the whole walk around like if um like the rolls royce the, the silver ghost mm-hmm. uh which <laughs> <laughs> which was, was red and gold. Nose. Holy was, cow. Yeah, it was red and gold though. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, it was uh <laughs> you can walk around that vehicle. And I quickly figured out that you can do what I call the lean. Everybody's everybody's had to be in a museum where you wanna touch the stuff. You know about the lean. We all know about the lean. <laughs> yeah. It's like dart it's like r- the same rules as playing darts. As long as your foot is behind the line, you're okay. Uh but I did learn um when person working at the museum was a little bit concerned because I got down on the ground I was trying to look at the undercarriage yeah. of a couple of things and they were very polite and they came up and they said I can I help you and yeah. I of course was very embarrassed thought uh, you're having a medical emergency down there on the floor you well, know, oh, I, I think they knew exactly what I was doing. <laughs> you know, I wonder
2: if you, I was just thinking about this, you know, I know the lean that you're talking about, right? Oh, Trying yeah. to get a better look. Yeah, so yeah. I wonder if, if this would be a good strategy. now I'm an idea guy, you know that, right? Yeah, you're I'm a not, big picture dude. I'm not much about implementing you know, those <laughs> okay. ideas, but, but let's say this, like, like Kurt, Kurt let's, let's, you're tall, right? You're pretty tall. Yeah. So you'd be able to lean a significant distance over a vehicle, but there's a point where you lose your balance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not very far over. What if you were to wear like weighted pants, you know, like like something like lead pants, uh-huh. you know, and that's practical. I mean, I know that's extremely practical for everybody to wear yeah. lead pants around, you know. Yeah. yeah. But what? Uh, how about ankle weights or yeah. uh, a belt, uh, you know, like a, a weight belt, maybe that would keep your weight, you know, like more the, the center of gravity would be much lower and behind you.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I wonder if that would work if you could lean like a lot farther.
4: Yeah, if I were there with you guys, I could have ropes. Tied to my shirt and each of y'all could grab one and just let me go in. You know I could basically get on, you know, I can get inside the window with my head.
2: That's equally feasible, I think. You know, to, to my lead pants idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what about so, almost like a judgment and brainstorming? How about guys? Like yeah, a, a chest mounted kickstand that you could, you know, deploy under the ground so you okay, could make okay, like, the full, yeah. you could get the full lean yeah. and then your whole body back. You'd look like you'd look like, you know, um, um Uh, A ski jumper in the air. You know how they move forward on their their, their skis like that? The big ski jumps. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You would look like that only leaning over
3: into the window of a museum piece. So, the biggest question about that, again, no judgment and brainstorming. Mm -hmm. It's not saying no to any of these. The biggest question I have is when to deploy these brilliant techniques and devices. I think there are like, uh, if I recall correctly, there are 13 zones. Thirteen zones? That I for (laughs) sure remember. Yeah, yeah. okay. So it goes from the dawn of the automobile to the advancement to the acceptance, uh, and then probably, you guys, I mean, probably two of my, or a couple of my favorite uh, zones there were pretty early on, uh, the salon vehicles, uh, that was zone four, and that's, you know, kind of the 1920s. 1920s, mm-hmm. just like egregiously luxurious stuff.
2: I'm, I'm looking at them right now. There's an Essex Coach. There's uh-huh. a Morgan Arrow. Yeah. Um, gosh, what else? Bugatti Type 35B, which mm-hmm. is pretty nice. That's a Duesenberg. great car. They have yeah. a Duesenberg. Model A, of course. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, Duesenberg Model J. That looks nice. I mean, there's, a, there's a, some incredible cars. You can click on any one of these links on their webpage yep. and see photo a photograph and a paragraph describing each one in uh, Japanese and in English.
3: And then they have a lot of deep cuts that I think would surprise anybody, who, who especially who enjoys older vehicles. Like, they have a Stutz.
2: Yeah. I mentioned that earlier because that's yeah. one that stands out to me, the Stutz Bearcat. I always find that as a funny yeah. car because I think Mr. Burns on The Simpsons owned a Stutz Bearcat. <laughs> and I remember being in an episode early, early on, yeah. you know, like the, the lazy chief police uh Wiggum, right uh uh-huh. he's kind of kicked back in his car eating probably a donut if i had to guess sure and burns is making his escape and he's in a uh a Stutz bearcat right and they report it as <laughs> a red Stutz bearcat i think or so i'm gonna mix this up but like a red Stutz bearcat in 1914 or whatever and the, the the police chief sees it goes by he says ah that's more of a burgundy and just lets <laughs> yeah, it go yeah i remember yeah? that yeah <laughs> hilarious to me i mean it's it's funny because you know just it's such an unusual vehicle and of course mr burns some a character like that would own a vehicle like that but you know these cars these kind of one-off the specials that you see when you walk around the corner Mm -hmm. you know don't expect that that to me is what really kind of turns me on about certain museums versus other museums where uh, you kind of you kind of know what's going to be there um you're a little bit surprised but sometimes man they really catch you off guard don't they
3: yeah i think that's what happened when I dragged my girlfriend along, too, because she actually enjoyed it. Yeah. Which surprised me a little, because I think she thought maybe it was just going to be all Toyotas, probably more of an emphasis on the 80s or something, yeah. you know? Yeah, like, oh, uh,
2: great, a, a museum dedicated to the Prius. <laughs> <Right. Yeah>. finally. <laughs> what a time to And I'm sure alive. that, you know what, there probably was a Prius there, right? I mean, I'm sure they've got their current yeah. product line there. You know, a lot of them anyway.
3: I mean, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Uh, this may be an, uh, a function of attention span or it may be a function of just like worrying about time spent wisely. But when I go to m- museums like this, uh, especially any any museum that focuses on the history of something that's fascinating, I end up taking forever in the beginning and then get kind of inundated with information. So by the time, by the time I had made it to, uh, let's say the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, by the time I made it to the nineteen eighties, uh, I, I started thinking, ah, I've, I've, I've seen a Toyota Corolla. <laughs> so you're just doing a walk. You're doing a walk, just a walk through at that point, right? <laughs> I, I'm walking around, yeah, yeah, and I'm stopping for I'm stopping for vehicles because there were some vehicles that I had not seen up close like uh the yunos roadster Mm -hmm. uh i had not seen one of those up close and that was weird to me because it's a mazda miata yeah it's a mazda miata sure but being called a yunos roadster made it new (laughs) and fascinating (laughs) and uh
2: somehow intriguing
3: yeah because in uh the early auto history of japan their first vehicles they were making were licensed Mm -hmm. rather than completely domestically create it. And Toyota led the charge on creating vehicles in Japan for the Japanese market from Japanese parts. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so for them to take that step is impressive, but it also means, you know, this is something that we have talked about in the past, it also means there are a lot of things just sold under different names, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Which has always fascinated me and still fascinates me today. You know what? I'm going to be honest. still confuses me today because there are, I'm sure everybody listening, we have a couple of different examples of stuff that we just thought of, you know, and sold in Europe as one name or in Australia as one name and then sold in the U.S. for some reason as another name. I don't know the logic behind that.
2: Or even very similar cars that are sold here under different brands like, you know, the Subaru car, the BRZ. And the uh oh, what was the other one the the scion oh i'm gonna I'm gonna forget it now uh, <laughs> <laughs> <dang> it. <laughs> oh the uh the uh, Toyota it's a Toyota, I believe, right? yeah, I was just thinking of an example that that uh you know is a pretty easy one for everyone to pick out on the roads today, even. Yeah. you know Subaru sells that b r z car uh-huh. and then there's a scion or at least it was a scion now it's Toyota, I think. Um, but it's the it's the exact same vehicle, you know. The uh, and I think it's the '86, Kurt. Is that what you said? It was mm-hmm. a, the it's now called the '86. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's different car companies, essentially the same vehicle, different badging, a few different you know options, you know, engines, things like that are available. But it, it's just an interesting thing that you know that they do that they share these platforms, and uh, yeah. it's, it's it's always kind of strange. Hey, you know what? One thing, Kurt. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot here just okay. for a second, Ooh, if you don't mind. Ooh, here we go. So we haven't re- you haven't really heard of any like car museums that you've gone to that you really like or dislike, or uh, are you a big car museum frequenter? Do you go there and, and check things out, or, or not necessarily?
4: When not you go necessarily. We've well, yeah, so you, you've you've been, to been the... banned
3: for a lot, right?
4: Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's true for various reasons. <laughs> I, the, I went to the Corvette Museum a long time ago. Oh yeah,
2: up in, in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I said I think I said frequenter. That's terrible. That's that's, (laughs) making up my own words. Are Are you there often? Is what I meant. And I guess I guess not. But what? uh, So you were there um, at the uh, Corvette Museum precinct hole i would guess oh yeah yeah it was okay. this back
4: in the 90s maybe, yeah right after it was built
2: you narrowly missed being just swallowed up by the earth yeah <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> i didn't know that danger was
4: brewing beneath yeah who, who did
2: yeah. Who, who would know right but uh that's one place that i have never stopped i've even i've even stayed in the hotel across the street from it because mm-hmm. it's like oh, a good...
3: didn't make it no
2: it's a, it could be as it just didn't fit into the stupid schedule that oh, we, we had. See. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and yep. it's a good stopover point on my way up to Michigan. Oh, there you okay. Go. So, That's you know, it. if I or if I'm actually it's if I'm going to stop in Indiana first to visit family and, you yeah. know, in, you know Wabash, Indiana and, and then on to Michigan or, you know, whatever. It's a good it's a good point for me to drive to after work here one day on like a Friday. Mm-hmm. end up there and then early the next morning leave so you know i'm not there during museum hours can't even can't even make a, a token appearance there you know for yeah. an hour it's just i'm you know tired from the day and and the road and you have to get up the next morning at 6 a.m to get on the road or something oh, to go. Man. so yeah it's frustrating but i'll get there and they have a, a motorsports park across the road that mm-hmm. i also like to go to and, and check out and of course the factory which they offer tours for mm-hmm. and oh man they're going to start building that that rear engine vet there soon yeah. And I'm really jacked about that. I really am. I want to do a full episode soon that. about that vet. Yeah. I, okay. It's Let's yeah. What... I'm I'm excited about it. That's a that's a cool thing that we've you know, we've talked around the the edge of in the past because it was never really a thing that was going to happen. I and mean, it was going to, but we never knew when. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now that it's here, man, we should we should definitely delve into it.
3: Yeah, we for sure. been, we've been waiting for that one for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. you know what, I,
2: I didn't mean to derail us that no, much. it's perfect. I do that all the time, but uh, <laughs> but but let's get back to this museum. I mean, uh, you see, do you think you spent, like, the whole day there? Do you think you spent, like, um, you know,
3: eight hours there, five hours there, two uh, hours? What was probably, it? Probably, probably about four hours, but wanted to spend a longer amount of time there. Yeah. You know, it's weird because we're in a country that's new to me. My girlfriend had been there before. Um, but neither of us have been to this town before, mm-hmm. so we wanted to be, you know, conscious of how long it took to get from point A to point B, things like that. Mm-hmm. Because, without going to the full details, one time uh, we were in a different country and we took a ski lift. Up, it was supposed to be a romantic thing. Uh, we took a ski lift to the top of this mountain, and then we had to, we found out that you still had to wait in line for the round trip, and the line was like uh, two hours long. <laughs> and so I said, "You know, I had the bright idea. It's like, hey, all right, it, you know, it can't be that bad. It's all downhill." <laughs> and so we, oh no. So we, uh, we, it, it was that bad. Oh. Uh, and it took about a, <laughs> it, it took a long time to walk down there. And then we were at the, uh, we were at the, uh, uh Seoul, South Korea's version of the interstate outside of the city. And then I had to, Yeah, that was so. So, we're very cautious. That sounds very very, romantic. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. Way to go, Ben. Uh, Yeah, real winner (laughs) there. But, uh, but so, so to answer your question, long story short, it was, um, it was four four hours and change, but it could have been more because there are two buildings. There's the main building, there's kind of this annex thing. And they don't just have odd or historically significant cars, they also have like real big beast like they had a dyno 246 gts they have this room that's just like high-end kick-ass sports
2: cars uh, exotics and things like yeah. that you know one of my favorite cars that's there it, it's uh it's kind of a, a i don't know i i would say it's not nondescript by any means i mean i i don't know if i'm i'm using the right term for this but it, it's a little more Simple, I guess, in design. It's not like a design like an exotic, but it has that feel to me because it looks an awful lot like a Jaguar E type. It is a, um, uh, oh, here it is right here the, the 2000 GT made by Toyota. Oh, um, yeah. It's yeah, the yeah. model MF10. It's a 1968 model, and I believe that a 1967 model was the one that they used in um, a James Bond film. Uh, I don't remember which film it was now, but I saw that car, the first time I'd ever seen that car in person at the Peterson Museum. It was also a white version of this, but Mm -hmm. it was made into a a convertible, uh, which I thought was kind of cool, so a Roadster uh, version of the same car. Uh, But it's beautiful, and of course, there's very, very few of these made. I don't remember how many were made, but it's like, you know, in the low, maybe 200s, I think, at, at the most. Um, it's just a beautiful-looking car to me, and it has that classic look. And it has something, a feature that, that Kurt had pointed out that a lot of these cars uh, yeah. have uh, that you were a little bit confused about at first, I think. The mirrors on the hood yeah, are on the side of the, mm-hmm. the fender. Yeah, the front fender mirrors, right? Yeah. And uh, it, I think they, it's a cool look. Do you like the look? Yeah, it's neat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I see you're still a little bit on the fence it looks about it. It <laughs> different well,
3: when you're behind the wheel.
4: Right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it it's just a, it's an interesting place to put them, I know, but it makes a lot of sense when you're talking about a car that is like a sports car,
1: you know. Uh, yeah. I mean,
2: I, this is definitely a sports car, this, uh, this Toyota 2000 GT model. Um, but it, the fenders are mounted way far in front of the, uh, uh, in front, of the front glass, yeah. uh, not in the usual position on the driver door, passenger door. Mm-hmm. And the reason is so that, you know, to, to get that rear view, all you have to do is kind of avert your eyes a little bit instead of turning your head left or right in order to see that. So, you know, the driver can keep their focus forward and just kind of, you know, like dart their eyes left or right and be able to catch what's going on behind them. And now you get a restricted view, but typically these mirrors will have a convex surface so that you get more of a uh I like guess a, fish f- eye view a sort of a fisheye view.
3: It's kind of in between, you know? I wonder why that died out, because you can look through you can look through cars from the eighties and seventies and you can see other examples of that. Like the uh, at least at this museum, for sure, the Toyota Soar had uh, those had, mm. had those side lamps that were hood mounted. Yeah. Uh, we also saw uh, the Colt Galant from '71 had yeah. that. Even the Honda Civic. Had, and the ones on the Honda Civic were way up there, man. Yeah. They were, like, right behind the headlights.
2: Well, they had to be. That was a small car, very small car, right? Oh, I guess but, you're right. But, but the but angle, I, yeah. yeah, but I like this. I really like the design. I think the sad answer to this is that it had to be part of pedestrian safety. You know how they took the uh, the hood ornaments off of cars, and the uh, the front ends are kind of yeah. smoothed out, and bumper heights are standard now. They're not like super low like they used to be, or not super high like they used to be. Although I'm seeing a trend in trucks where it's becoming like a wall coming down the road. You know, normal yeah. consumer pickup trucks, but yeah, yeah. But well, it's I think
3: like the the uh, the side mirror is like the size of a forearm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
2: but I mean, you you uh, you see the, you know the position of these where if if they were to hit a pedestrian and they were to roll over the hood of that vehicle. Uh, that would probably kill somebody, or significant damage, if nothing else. So, so I think I think it's pedestrian safety.
3: I could see that, but I would present a, an alternative hypothesis. Oh, what's that? What if it is somehow easier to park or drive in dense areas? Yeah.
4: You can't reach them to adjust. Oh, that's why they changed it, I'm, okay. I'm sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. But I'm saying, like, maybe— Before, like, automated, you know, yeah, good rear, right. rear mirrors. Yeah.
3: How
2: many, how many times have I brought this car? I've, I've, I had an MG that had these mirrors. Yeah, A yeah. long time ago. I had an MG Arkley. It was a kit car, you know, mm-hmm. made out of a, an MG midget. And I'll have to show you photos, Kurt. Yeah, yeah. Ben, ben knows Great, it. Yeah. But it had mirrors like this. And I do recall that adjusting those things was difficult. And sometimes they would, you know, shake loose and, you know, like mm-hmm. adjust yeah. themselves. And it's frustrating because you have to pull over to adjust them mm-hmm. back into position. But um, they were fantastic. I, I love the position of them. I love being able to, again, just kind of quickly dart your eyes over and see what's behind you is, is really nice. And I thought that it's still overall, I think it's a cool look. I really like the look of those fender mirrors like that. I think yeah. it really is, is. It just seems like they would be effective. too far
4: away to, to see anything. No, it's
2: really not. It's not but uncomfortable. Never, no, of course, my car was very, very small. So, you know, the, the yeah. distance is more like the Honda, more like the Honda Civic that we're talking about than this car,
3: which is a little bit farther away. But now you can, to your point, Kurt, now that it's very common for people to be able to electronically adjust, the side mirrors? Sure. There's, I, I wonder why they haven't come back. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's pedestrian safety. It's got to be. It's Got to be something. I like think that or- nowadays that's why it has. That's what it has to be. They oh, get know.
2: ripped off in every, uh, you know, automated car wash that people take their cars through, or something. Oh, you know, gosh, maybe that's yeah. another issue.
3: Do you guys remember having to unscrew your antenna before you took it? <laughs> I do. <through laughs> yes. Car wash. Yeah. 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 Kurt's way too young. Are you too young for that? No. <laughs> no, <laughs> screw off it, no. No. He's not. I'm just joking. I've with had him, to,
4: you know, <laughs> reach out of the window. And yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: I mean, I guess they still do. A version of that where they put that little um, uh, sleeve over the, the rear window wiper yeah. and they or tape, tape it, it down it. sometimes. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. always frustrating if they tape that down. You have to get out and peel that stuff off.
0: If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian.
1: You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack
3: So there's there's something else here, I, and I think it's a bigger trend that we see when we look at museums like this and the many fantastic auto museums throughout the U.S. and the world at large. It's that we can conduct our own kind of forensic analysis of these trends that came and went. I don't know why, but walking around where we saw the old-school... 20s to 30s era cars like the Packer 12, uh, where they, the Packer 12, the so-called Roosevelt car. Sure. Right? Uh, Packer's when,
2: one of your favorites anyway.
3: It's true. It's yeah. true. Uh, but one of the things that hit me about it is I was walking around and I was thinking, man, these cars were so expensive at the time that the assumption was if you could afford one, you could afford to pay somebody else to drive you around in it. And that's why the cabins were divided. It's was, it was like because nobody uh, nobody was buying one of the, or very few people were buying one of these and saying, like, whew. I mean, my daily driver helped me get to work more quickly. They're like buying it for parades and <laughs> ah, state your, processions. So your
2: daily driver was actually a person and had a name. <laughs> yes. Your daily driver was <laughs> Neil. Yeah. They just happened you know. to be in a Cadill- or in a, uh, a Packer 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, um, you know, can I yeah. just make one quick Please. point here? Is that I, I also was looking into, and I want to get back to the the museum and we'll sure, kind of sure, wrap sure. that up yeah. in a minute, but the location of this place is perfect, right? I mean, it, of course, it's near the port where they ship most of their, their uh-huh. product from. Yeah. Uh, we find that you know the port of Nagoya is a it's an old port. In fact, it predates Toyota. It goes back to 1907 when they opened this port, and it's enormous. It's a huge place. And I I tried to do something here that I thought was clever at first, and then I saw a couple of my errors along the way, and I, I <laughs> it kind of fell apart at some point. But I'll tell you what I did. I tried to look at the area in the uh, in the city of Nagoya and the port. Actually, the port of Nagoya. With the water combined, and I don't know why I looked at it with water combined, but I did. And uh, the square, the square meters, the square uh-huh. uh, miles, and all that, right? So the water area of the port is something like, and I'll I'll do this both ways, I guess, but eighty-two, just over eighty-two million square meters, which is about thirty-one point eight square miles of just water in the port. So that's a big port, right? Yeah, yeah. Two. This place has. 21 piers and 290 berths. That means they can uh, have as many as nearly 300 ships in the yard at one time. And it's not just Toyota. There's a lot of things that come in and out of of Nagoya, of course. They do something like 2.1 million containers every year go in and out of that place. That's how many are shipped in and out of that port every single year. And and those are containers that are the size of the backs of semis. You know, when you see the the uh, containers on the back of semis, that's what we're talking about. So when we see them stacked on the back of the, the ships, you know, they're loaded up with uh, uh, material. That's what's in them is cars. It's, um, uh, it, well, it's not only automobiles, but it's, you know, other products that they're they're shipping out as well. 32,400 vessels every year go in and out of there. That's how many arrive Jeez. in the port every single year. And that was a 2009 number. So that's 10 years old, that number that I found. So you know that the, the shipping has probably gone up. Now... The, the land area that I've neglected to tell you up until this point, um, <laughs> which I forgot, is, uh, is about 16.3 square miles. So if you combine the two, it's right around 48 square miles. And I was trying to think, okay, well, how big is that really? 48 square miles, because it's a massive area. Um, it's somewhere around the size of, if you were to take all of Boston, Massachusetts— That's roughly 48 square miles. Wow. If you were to take all of Peoria, Illinois, or Salem, Oregon, or I think Fargo, North Dakota, those areas are all about 48 square miles. They're 48, 49, somewhere around there. So that's the size of the port area that we're talking about. That's just one little area here, but that's all shipping and a lot, again, most of Toyota's product comes out of there from you know from the asian mm-hmm. production facilities that they, they put these cars together in you know of course we know we have they have plants all over the world but that's where most of their product originates yeah. from so it's a it's a huge huge place and uh, as you can imagine most of the people in the cities in and around nagoya are employed by either the shipping industry you know the uh, you know the, the pier i guess the the operations at the pier the you know somehow related to that port or automotive suppliers or automotive mm-hmm. manufacturers, because there's a, many big factories that have strategically located themselves right in that area as well. Not just Toyota, but other automotive
3: manufacturers sure, as well. Sure, Mitsubishi is yeah. there, yep. uh, or they have an R&D place there. Mm-hmm. Spark plug makers, component creators, mm-hmm. even the rail car rolling stock manufacturers, Shinkansen manufacturers are there. Sure, yeah. And uh, You said that twice. Now, that's high-speed trains. Right, yeah, sorry, yeah, bullet trains, we call them. Uh, they are insane, you know what I mean? They put our little train uh, train network here in Atlanta to to shame. What do you know? What your top speed was? Just just offhand, you know, uh, roughly the one I was on, I believe was going. I mean, in ex easily in excess of two hundred miles an hour, but it doesn't feel like it. No, you know, not until you look out the window. No. <laughs> Yeah, until you look out the window. (laughs) Yeah. And the the thing that's amazing is how on time they are and how quickly they stop. And also, it's much more like being on a plane. You know how before air travel became more affordable? Like, we saw this at the Hershey Museum uh, in Pennsylvania, the Hershey Automotive Museum. Before air travel became more affordable, most people would travel long distances on charter buses. And the charter buses, it was very much like going on a plane. You had, uh, you had like, flight attendants, bus attendants. They would cook stuff and serve it to you. They had uniforms.
2: They had footrests. There was uh, overhead storage that was, you know, like wood-like shelving. Yeah. And they had, you know, really nice plush seats. They were... It was, these coaches were beautiful. I mean, it was, it was, like, a pretty... I mean, more than acceptable way to get around. It was pretty luxurious yeah. in a way. I mean, I still know that, you know... There were better ways to travel, but it, this wasn't too bad, really. I mean, lots of leg room, lots of shoulder room. It was, uh, it was definitely a good way to get across the country if you had to. A little yeah. slower than plane, obviously. A little yeah. bit, but but man, they were cool looking. They really were. There was a whole basement full of them, wasn't there? Yes, when we went there, there and we there were able to a huge basement. We were yeah. able to get on them and kind of sit in the. Uh, Sitting so in the driver's seat and stuff. I, I think that was stuff that they were letting
3: us do. They know, let just, us do it because we we were taking a behind-the-scenes tour. Yeah. We also yeah. got to see where they were fixing up a lot of those vehicles. Yep, our friend uh, Glenn Beck arranged uh-huh. that
2: for us. Yeah, uh, thank still, you, Glenn. You know, we thank him for that because that was uh, quite an experience all around. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun, something me, I'll always remember.
3: Let me point this out. I was, I was mistaking that Shinkansen speed. I was confusing my kilometers and my miles per hour. Yeah. I believe it was 300 kilometers... An hour, which makes about one hundred and eighty-six miles per hour. That's still fast. That's you know what? That's still two hundred miles an hour to me. That's quick. I mean, <laughs> fourteen miles an hour doesn't matter
2: when you're going one hundred and eighty-six. I don't think you know. That's well,
3: it. One thing that does really hit you about the speed of the, that kind of transportation, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Scott, is that if you go the wrong way or you miss your stop, you don't <laughs> you don't have a lot of time to recover from <laughs> that one.
2: Yeah, exactly. I would. Uh, yeah, I definitely. Uh, I had, you know, the nerves. I, I traveled on a Megaliff train, but I had the knowledge of knowing that there's only one train on the track at the time, you know. And uh, and it's pretty easy to sit back and relax on that to one versus... Out where, where you're supposed to but, be going. Yeah, when there's, like, other trains that you're worried about being switched onto your line, that would be a whole lot more nerve-wracking, I think. And um, not that that's necessarily happened a lot, but there have been... There've been oh, some yeah. incidents here and there. It's, sure. very, it's very few and far between, though. But but man, that's really cool that you got to do that. It's something that we've been talking about.
3: Gosh, and, yeah. Uh,
2: and what a trip! I mean. Overall, I'm sure you didn't eat, an, eat eat anything gross on the streets out there or anything. You didn't eat any gross street food or anything. You you know, I, kn- it, I know man. you because you're Seafood. you're not an adventurous eater at all. You, you're very you're, yeah. you very uh you know meat and potatoes kind of guy.
3: All right, I'm going to tell you. Do you <laughs> want to know one of the weirdest things I uh, <laughs> was there? Wait, 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 wait. Let me make sure I have a bucket
2: nearby just all in right. case because uh, okay. you do you have might an, not be comfortable. Yeah, I mean, with it. really, Kurt, he has an
3: extremely adventurous diet with a very win in Rome attitude. I know this may not be super popular with some of us listening, but I had to try it at least once. A horse, a horse sashimi, which means it was raw. Yeah, oh, wow. And uh, it's an interesting experience, but I don't, uh, I don't see myself doing that again in the future, unless I have to to survive or something. Yeah, sure. But you know, um, you ate horse. Mm-hmm. Interesting, and but. Okay,
2: all right, that's fascinating. I, I'm not going to take this any direction that I shouldn't right now,
3: but uh, that's, that's <laughs> okay. great. That's great. Good I thought you. you would be happy that yeah, good I, for you. I didn't say seafood. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Although yeah. I did I eat thought a lot you were. Of
3: creatures of the deep, man. I thought you
2: were going to go with, uh, you know, I ate a tarantula on a stick or something like that. You know, I, I was going to be, I thought mm. I was going to be just repulsed by this, but I can kind of understand it if, that's, if that is a, uh, you know, I think some people are going to have trouble with that. I, I could see somebody... Getting upset, but I can where, see where that do, too. But what do you think? I mean, okay, so yeah. now I know somebody who's knowingly eaten horse. Uh, you know, I've, okay, I've had, I've had a some weird hey, listen, I've had some, <laughs> I've had some steaks at some bad places that I assume are a horse's ass steak. Oh wow, you know, it's you better that, not. mouth sizzler in front no. of me. <laughs> No, I've actually labeled like, oh boy, this is the horse's ass cut of steak. I can tell, <laughs> but uh, but but seriously, like, what yeah. what was the uh, texture? What was it like? Was it like uh, red meat or yeah what? yeah? Okay.
3: It was like red meat. It was um, it had a uh, a surprising kind of sweet note to it. Um, there was this sauce. The weirdest thing is the way they served it to us. Oh wait, wait! I've had this before at Arby's. There's horsey sauce. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. It's you right know, in a, it's in a yeah. packet. It's like yeah, uh, now are... that you mention it, I was at an Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very high end restaurant. Oh, this all this I understand now. It's I understand. Yeah. Uh, well, the weird thing was when they served this, um, when they served this to us. Uh, you know, we were we were in an okay restaurant. We were in like a nice date restaurant. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wouldn't be a super super expensive restaurant. Oh sure. Uh but just a nicer place. Yeah. Fancy pants. Yeah, I mean, it's Arby's. Yeah. Right? Oh, sure. Uh, So I had a tie on it. Had the roast beef. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Well, anyway, this place, which was technically not an Arby's, but don't let that ruin the story. Uh, The weird thing was, when we ordered it, at first I didn't believe it, and I thought, well, you know, neither of us are fluent in Japanese. Maybe this is a different translation. Maybe this is some kind of cut of beef or something that I'm not aware of. And I'm checked with the... um, with the staff there, and they were like, "Yeah, no, no that's a horse. Do you want some horse? Because like, mm-hmm. we'll give it to you." And so I, I, I was in a situation where I said, "Well, we have to." And so, we ordered some not not like a a, a huge platter. We weren't like, just bring the whole thing out.
2: Yeah, um, did you didn't have to go select it from a pin of of horses no, no, like no, no, you would a no, no, lobster no. or something? Right, like, right. Like I'll have that
3: one. Right, uh, uh, but when we tried it. The, the strangest thing about it is like there was no like great ceremony with bringing this out, except when they brought out the sauce because <laughs> there was this wide shallow bowl and at the very bottom in like a in an indented circular area, that was where the sauce lived. I don't know why the bowl was so wide, huh. nor why it was so shallow. It was like a curved plate with a little dollop. Of this admittedly pretty tasty sauce, and I was thinking when they brought this out, I was like, "Wow, do people do people mainly just order this for the sauce? Hmm. You know, like how you have to order chips when you order queso dip because otherwise you look like a you know like you have a problem." Was it really?
2: uh, Yeah, (laughs) there's something wrong with you. Um, Is there? um, Was it like really intense flavor, or was it like really? It um... was
3: a little. It was like kind of smoky sweet it okay. wasn't I, I would not say it was super duper intense it wasn't it wasn't bad um mm. you know i learned that there are some problems people have with that industry like the provenance of the of the horses themselves yeah uh, but also you know we have to admit here in the states we can be a little bit hypocritical about what we consider Edible, not edible, objectionable, and fine. Sure, and you know, pigs are quite intelligent, and that's never stopped me uh, from getting a pulled pork uh, barbecue sandwich at Arby's. Yeah, sure. There's uh, <laughs> sacred cows, you know. Of course, we've sure.
2: all heard that. Um, yeah, but yeah, I understand. Like, it's it's just a different region of the world. They have different you know norms, I guess, and and that's why I was saying controversial. I mean, I yeah, I mean, I you'd have to look into how it's harvested, I guess, right. and, and you know the, the practices behind that. I can't but, believe um, it. I, it's I'm, interesting. That's a, that's, 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 you've got good travel
3: stories. That's I'm good. sorry that I derailed us so much here. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm also just going to point out, okay, I was a vegetarian years back for a few years. So I feel like I put my time in. <laughs> You know what I mean? I'm still catching up with everybody. <laughs> yeah, I get you. Hey, you didn't derail us, man. That's a, a trip to Japan
2: deserves at least an episode of, of talking about what you saw, what you did. And uh, and the food, of course, is part of it. You know, just the culture and, you know, everything around that trip. So I'm fascinated to hear about, you know, when anybody travels, Kurt, if you travel anywhere in the future uh, or have traveled anywhere that you want to talk about, let's, let's have at it here on this show because uh, there's always something fascinating to discover about new places. And, oh, for and, sure. You know, we have our questions, and I'm sure listeners have their questions. Maybe some of them are overlap, and we'll you know answer some of them for them out there. You know,
3: guys, let's go let's uh, go on an adventure together. Yeah. Uh, the only way the Nogoya Museum could have been cooler is if you guys were there too.
2: Oh, shucks, that's so nice. <laughs> it's all right, thanks, man. Uh, you know. <laughs> 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 maybe not at the uh, romantic horse museum. Oh, or God. not horse museum. Horse, I'm sorry, horse <laughs> restaurant. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, I yeah, don't, know, was
4: it a horse restaurant?
2: No, <laughs> no,
3: they just had it on the menu. <laughs> it was called Roy Rogers triggers. Uh, that the... <laughs> they, they had it on? They had it on the menu, and I felt like we just uh, we we had to do it. Uh, was it my proudest moment? No. Uh, do I regret it? Not really. Oh, no, that's all right. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, it um, but uh, but also uh, on the very last note. Uh, this is something that I think a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of people in the audience who've traveled will also notice. Uh, every time I'm in a different country, man, I'm so weirded out by which cars are common and which are considered fancy or, you know, um, what's considered obscure. You go to some places and it's just Fiat's everywhere. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you have a Fiat? Sure. <laughs> and uh, you go to other places and, like, you know, it's weird. It's weird how Mercedes are not impressive cars in some country. Yeah. And I, I keep wondering, I'm like, are they just super cheap here? Are we getting, are we the ones getting ripped off?
2: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, just to find out what's the, what's the norm there versus the norm here. And, you know, the the oddballs are the ones that always intrigue me, like you said. Like, when you know in a certain region and you find out that, hey, just about everybody has a three wheel car here, you know. And it's, right. pretty, it's pretty rare where we are, but you know, it's it's something that's commonly seen there. You see it on the on the you know side of the road all the time. They're rented to tourists. So they're rented, you know, the people mm. that do find them different or unique or exciting in some way. And they know that, you know, right? So they, they kind of prey on that. But yeah, good for them. It's it's fun. It's always interesting to travel. I, I love doing it. And you get good stories like the Nagoya Toyota Museum. I, I don't have the name exactly right there. I know that the Toyota Automobile, Automobile. Museum of nagoya i think is what it's Ooh. called if you want to search for it and and check out what ben has already seen in the past and i'm a bit jealous ben i'm, I'm a little jelly as the kids say No. of, uh, <laughs> of you being able to go there and and do that but uh i know it also it takes a lot of hard work to be able to get to do something like that so good for you And that's a good experience
3: good life uh, experience thanks, we were fortunate not to have to walk down a mountain that time uh <laughs> Yeah. Didn't get kicked out of the country, which I take as a solid win, mm-hmm. uh, given my past. So, uh, or the museum. Or the museum, which I got close. I wish I had known about mm-hmm. the, you guys' techniques earlier. If yeah. I had that kickstand, some weighted oh, pants.
2: Yeah. Well, you know what they say, Ben? Dog sleds don't have rear view mirrors. That was perfect. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it works. I mean, it all comes around, right? Full circle. Full circle. Thing. Yeah, exactly. So,
3: Oh, gosh, have we exhausted the uh, Nagoya Toyota Museum yet? I think we've done an okay job just sketching out some of the... The high notes of the museum. Thank yeah. you so much for listening, folks. Uh, we want to hear your stories of your favorite auto museums here in the US or anywhere in the world, open or closed, and what you like about them. You can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, you can find us on Twitter. We are Car Stuff or some derivation thereof. And thanks for listening, everyone. Car
2: Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
0: Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success.
5: From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger.